Awesome. Awesome. It's been so good. My name is Kyle uh, Nelson. I come from the, uh, Florida in the States. As you probably know, I've got our team here with us, and we've just had an amazing week getting to see what God's doing in Northern Ireland. And I, I've, I've had a heart for the nation since I was young. I got saved on, uh, on the mission field in Mexico. And ever since, God's just given me a heart for the nations. And so to see so many different nations gathering, even in this room, and people in the room who, uh, this is your homeland, but have a heart for this nation and the nations. I love to see what God's doing. So super excited to be with you and just want to honor uh, Neil and David and Neville, the whole, whole team here and just all, all you guys are doing. Thanks for the opportunity to pour in and um, thanks to Ronnie and, and Carolyn for just the amazing hospitality and uh, just the great um, spiritual father and mother you've been to this whole, this whole tribe. Uh, thank you, guys. We honor all the dads in the house. Come on, let's honor the dads. Can we show them some love again? Um, love it, love it. I'm so excited. Definitely want to take an, uh, a second to honor Jackie and Kenny. I think she may have stepped out, but we're just super proud of them. I don't know if you can just imagine with me for just a second, like, what it takes to, you know, travel across the world, you know, all the planning and packing that's got to happen, and uh, you know, even for a week-long trip, you know, or a two-week trip, it's a, it's a lot, you know, and, and it's a lot on you. Um, but then imagine you're going to do that, and you don't know how long you're going to be there, <laughs> you know, just preparing your heart for that. But then imagine doing it with five kids in tow, <laughs> and that's what they've done in just obedience to the Lord and just as their pastor, you know, back home, just so proud of them and, and grateful for your hospitality and reception of them, and excited to see what God does in this next uh, chapter and season. Um, I don't get to travel with my wife all the time, but she's here with me today, uh, Taryn. Yeah. Um, I think I have a picture of, of my family. Do you have that, Amy? This is a picture of my family. That's, of course, me and Taryn. This is our three kids, Beckett, Camden, and Elisha down in, is that St. Augustine or somewhere uh, uh, in Florida? And our kids are back with the grandparents learning to swim uh, the boy, or at least our daughter is, and they're having a blast living their best life with grandparents, and so I love that. So that's my immediate family, but I wanted to kind of start today actually telling you a little bit about my my family history, which you probably have zero interest in, but there's a point to it, <laughs> to why I'm telling you this. Um, my great-grandfather, I learned years ago what he did, <clears throat> he hauled junk by day. He went and picked up trash, like rubbish. Like, but not like the little, like, bin trash. Like, he picked up, like, big metal, you know, like, scrap metal and things like that. He just went around and he picked that up. And that's what he did during the day. He hauled junk. But by night, he was a prize fighter. He, he, he boxed to make a little extra money kind of in the underground. And so that was kind of an interesting thing. Well, when my grandfather was 14 years old, my great-grandfather threw his back out. And he had to be in an entire body cast for, like, a year, like a long time and so the family was in really rough shape. And so my grandfather, at 14 years old, quit school and he went to work to provide for the family. <clears throat> he, he, he was providing by just doing odds and end jobs and mowing grass or whatever he could do. He ended up going into construction, um, ended up getting my grandmother pregnant at 15 years old, uh, 40, excuse me, 14 years old, had my dad at 15 years old. They got married. He went off in the military. <clears throat> but something in that season of my great or my, of my grandfather's life is the Nelson family, which is my family, 
they learned hard work ethic. You know, he was working multiple jobs and just trying to make ends meet and survive, and that carried on to generations after. And uh, it was not just work ethic that passed on, but there was a sense of stubbornness that was passed on in the Nelson family, too. Uh, my dad, at 18 years old, um, he, while all the other uh, boys were you know, getting money and they would go and, and make cool modifications to their cars, my dad was buying property <laughs> at 18 years old and began to build a house from the ground up by himself. I'm like, who does that? That's crazy. But he began to build this house by himself. <clears throat> and my dad's grandmother came up to him one day. My dad's halfway through building this house at 18 years old, getting ready to marry my mom who's 19 years old, and my, gr- my grandmother, who's like this tall, <laughs> and just the tiniest little thing ever, anything I ever knew of my great-grandmother, she was just so sweet, but she comes up to my dad, on, my dad's on top of the roof building this house, and she yells to him, you're never going to finish it. You are stupid forever trying. What do you think you're going to do? I'm like, my, grand- my great-grandmother said that. She was so sweet. I couldn't believe that, but she just, she just ran him down, and my dad said it just broke his heart. That, that someone so pivotal in his life that he looked up to just said, you can't do this, you're dumb forever trying, which if my kid told me you're going to build a house from the ground up by yourself at 18, I might say something similar. Like, that's crazy, but whatever. Um, but something my dad just said in that, it just stuck. He said, you're not going to win. I, I, I'm going to finish this thing. I'm going to get it done. And he, sure enough, he finished it, if nothing else, just despite his grandmother and prove to her, I, I am going to finish it. And there, so sometimes stubbornness, which is the Nelsons are known for their hard work and sometimes our stubbornness. Sometimes stubbornness can serve us really well, right? From not like getting something through that, hey, we're just going to prove to somebody and just the stubbornness of we're going to be right or whatever. But so many times this characteristic or this quality of stubbornness is a massive character flaw, especially when it comes to our relationship with God and and uh, I, I would love to be able to just give you a happy little um, Father's Day message and tell you happy birthday or happy Father's Day, have a nice day. Uh, but I don't think the Lord brought me across the world to just tell you have a nice day. I, I think he has a word of correction, but also encouragement and love of his faithfulness to us. And we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 33 today and just read a few verses um, here that uh, really spoke to me, and I pray that they'll speak to you as well. Just a quick uh, bit of context to where we're diving in in Exodus chapter 33. So, uh, most of you will be familiar that God has uh, revealed himself, remember, through the burning bush, and he's revealed who he is. He's told Moses that he is Yahweh. I am who I am is how it's often translated, but really the rendering that's most appropriate for that is one of movement. It's a verb. It's not just God's state of being. It's, it's God's state of activity and being with the people of Israel. And so it, it should probably be rendered, I will, I'm the God who will always be with you, who doesn't change. I'm the same God who's going to be with you, who's going to walk. The same God that was there in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm that same God. And so God did that. God delivered them out of Egypt, like 400 years of Egyptian slavery. And then God provides for them on the other side of that. Remember the manna and the quail? God provides for them in incredible ways. And, 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 and then Moses, they have the opportunity to come into covenant. Remember the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. They get the Ten Commandments. And then not long after, 
Um, while Moses is up on Mount Sinai, do you guys remember what happens? What happens? They, they build a calf. They take the plunder from Egypt and they build an idol. And Moses comes down from the mountain and he is upset. He's like, I literally just told you guys. We're gonna, like, we just got the message. You shall have no other gods from, uh, before me. You shall not make any idols. And you've already done it like a minute later. Any parents ever feel like that? Like, I literally just told you this. <clears throat> and most of us, like we, some of us, we react just like Moses did. He comes down from the mountain and he breaks the tablets in anger, in righteous anger. He breaks the tablets and he says, how do you guys not get this? But then God is so gracious in this moment, but he has a word of correction for them too. And something needs to change. Uh, Exodus 33 says, uh, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Essentially, you are those descendants. You're, you're in that line. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I'm the God who did, just did that, and I'm the God who's going to provide for, for what's coming. I've been with you in the past. I'm going to be with you in the future. The question is, one, is, is are, are, are they going to walk in his presence now, in the present? He's been with them then. He's going to be with them there. What about now? What about the present? Verse, uh, verse 3 says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. You go ahead and go there, but I'm not going with you because you're stiff-necked people. You're stubborn. And I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. That's intense. You can, I'm sending you, you go there, but you're, I'm not going with you unless something changes, unless you take off the ornaments. And I just want to tell us before I get into really the heart of what I want to share today is that no matter what you've been through, no, no matter what's happened to you or, or, or mistakes that you've made, God's promise remains on your life. No, no matter what you're grieving through or struggling through or questioning in this moment, God's promise is still in your life just like it was for the people of Israel. They had failed and failed royally. Um, that Moses himself had broken the commandments there in anger. It was, it was an intense situation, but God loves you and he's not finished with you yet. His promise still remains on your life to bless you and keep you and to, to carry you into eternity. And he that began the good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. But I just want to um, speak this simple word today to us, to, for, for some of us, that maybe we need to go from stubborn to surrendered today. I think most of us would say, yeah, there's somebody in my family, and I think most of us would even say, yeah, yeah, my family's got a lot of stubborn in it too. <laughs> Maybe you, you wouldn't point at somebody in the room. They're a stubborn bunch. But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, there's a lot of stubborn in, in, in all of us. 
part of the, our human nature with God. In America, when um, we, we really say about men that they're, that they're pretty stubborn, particularly when it comes to driving, you know, and navigation. Uh, it used to be before GPS, is like men would never ask for directions, right? Like, we don't ask for directions. Why? Because we know how to get there when we don't. We're just going to figure it out anyway. And there's that stubbornness. Uh, and, and really, I, I imagine that's here uh, as well in, in each one of us that we are not, that, that we're stiff necked. And that was the problem with Israel is, is this stubbornness. And, and what I, I think the whole of the message, if you can really just hear one line or one phrase that I want you to, to understand, is that we, we're able to walk in the promises of God through a surrendered devotion to God. We're able to walk in his promises of God through surrendered devotion, not stubbornness. Stubbornness is going to keep us outside of the promise of his presence. But it's only through humility and reverence and worship and hunger for God that we, like a, a surrendered devotion to God, that we can walk in his promise. And I want you to know that God's promises are yes and amen to each one of us. His promises are there and available. And, and so our closeness to the Lord is really, it's really up to us. Do, do, do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do we want more of his presence because God comes where he's wanted? And so we must open our hearts up and ask today, God, is there ways in which my stubbornness is actually keeping me from your presence? Because our stubbornness will indeed keep us out of God's presence. When, when I tell my kids, hey, I need you to listen to me. This is really important. When I say listen to me, I'm not saying I need you to hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. I'm saying what? Obedience is required. I want you to obey what I'm saying. And I'm thinking of this passage in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, um, when Stephen is on trial. Like he's there, he's right before he's stoned. And he just, he's like, if I'm going out, I'm going out preaching the gospel. Um, just a few weeks ago, I was in, in Kenya, and one of our guys on the trip, he lost his passport. And we were all extremely frustrated as we went to the U.S. Embassy and were there for hours. And you, you see on the movies, when you go to the embassy, you think, I, I'm in distress. I need to get in and talk to my government. I can just walk right in. Well, we, we sat outside the gates of the embassy for hours just trying to talk to an American. So we were getting very frustrated. My anger was rising up within me, um, doing my best to, to not embarrass myself or the Lord <laughs> uh, in front of these embassy gates. Um, and one of, uh, I told one of my guys, I'm like, I better calm down because if I'm going to go down, it's going to be preaching the gospel. If I'm going to jail, it's for preaching the gospel, not you know, yelling at a guard about a passport. <laughs> uh, but I'm reminded of this passage, and, and Stephen preaches and just kind of tells the whole story of Israel. And he says this in, in verse 51, you reflecting on Israel, you stiff-necked, it says 15, it's 51, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit just as your fathers did. I, I wonder if some of us, like there's things that need to be cut away from our hearts that we're being stubborn about. I wonder if there's some circumcision of our ears that needs to be cut away. And, and, and as the Lord speaks to us, we're stubborn and we're like, yeah, 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 but. But what about this? 
And, and we're always making excuses for why we won't. Not, yeah, I, I heard you, but did you hear me? Are you going to listen? Are you going to obey? Are you going to follow through? Or are we just as stiff-necked as our ancient ancestors or our fathers and grandfathers, our grandmothers and mothers? Are we actually resisting God? I'm not talking about wrestling God for his blessing. I'm talking about resisting what God's trying to do in us. We will not be able to walk in the promise of God. We will not be able to keep in step with the spirit of God unless our hearts and our ears are circumcised. It's going to take, he, he tells them, this is really beautiful to me. He, he, it, what began to kind of catch my attention about this passage was the ornaments. I'm like, what's the ornaments? He tells them to take off the ornaments. I began to think about that, and, uh, you know, I did the great, right theologian thing. I'm like, well, where was this first introduced? And I looked in that, you know, kind of concord. This is the first time this word gets used, <laughs> So that's not super helpful. Later, it's used to talk about horses. I'm like, also not helpful. I don't think it's the same thing that the people are wearing. But it meant trappings. It meant jewelry, ornamentation on their head. And I began to think about it and use my context clues and go back in Exodus. And it's like, oh, well, they had just come out of Egypt, right? And so they had taken, God had blessed them, and he gave them all this plunder. He said, take all this gold. Why? Why? So they can have nice things? No, no, he had a purpose for it. He gave a direct purpose for the plunder. Of what came out of the season of slavery, there were some things that was going to come with them, but it was not going to be for their purpose. It was going to be for God's purpose. It was going to be used for the Ark of the Covenant to house his presence. It was going to be for the, the lampstand. It was going to be for uh, parts of, of their garments. The gold was going to be around it, and, and it was going to mirror God's royalty and point us to God, and yet they wanted on their self. And they wanted to keep that which was what from a previous season when it was meant to be from God's, for God's purpose. And I, I just feel this so strongly in my heart and what God arrested me in this is that this is deeply for some of our souls. Deeply for the promise and God has on, on your life is don't be stubborn. There's some things that you took from a previous season of slavery of your old life and you are clinging to it as if it's yours. And God wants to actually use it and refine it and hammer it. But we can't be stubborn and make it about us. When he's pruning something, when he wants to cut something away, we need to surrender it to him and let it be for his purpose. And not for, for our ornamentation. Our stubbornness will keep us from the presence of God and remove us from the promise of God. Because he is the promise. He is the inheritance of the priesthood. It's not land. It's not house. It's not success. It's not cars for the Levites. They had no land. And we are that royal priesthood. Our inheritance is God himself. He's our inheritance. And so his presence means everything. And so when, when he says, I'm not going to go with you, you can go, but I'm not going with you later, Moses will say, Lord, if you don't go with us, then we don't want to go. But it's not just about stubbornness. What's on the other side of that? It's surrender. It's surrender. Surrender will lead us to deeper levels of encounter of the living God. Surrender will lead us to deeper levels of encounter of the living God. What happens in verse 7? Or in verse 6, the people take off the ornamentation. What happens previous, in the previous verse, uh, verse 4? They mourned. 
God wasn't going to go with them. There, there was a mourning. There was a repentance. And I think this is the first level of, of surrender is repentance. It's repenting over the things that we've clinged to. And we've said, no, 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 God, you can have everything but that. God, I'll trust you in all these things. I'll trust you with tomorrow, but I won't trust you with today. I'll trust you with this part of my life. I'll trust you in the spiritual things, but not my body. I'll trust you with my relationships, but I'm not going to trust you with my money. We say, God, you can have all these things, but not this. We need to repent. And the reality of all this ornamentation, it's just an exterior um, manifestation of an inner reality that their hearts didn't trust God. You see, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. They were free from slavery, but they were still in bondage to sin. And they were going to continue. I mean, you know the story. Read through the Old Testament. It's always funny to me when people, I think, kind of struggle with the Old Testament, particularly people kind of who are new to the faith, and it's only because I think they don't understand the Old Testament. And really, for wayward people who like struggle and feel like, man, I was trusting you, I was faithful, and then I was unfaithful, and like my relationship with God's kind of been like this. The Old Testament should be the most comforting thing in the world to you because Israel was so just up and down, up and down, more downs than ups, and yet God was faithful. God was faithful. It should be so comforting. We shouldn't be afraid of the Old Testament. God is the same there as he is today and as he is in the New Testament. Repentance is really the first gateway for us to enter a deeper level deeper level of encounter with the living God. It's repentance. I was telling Neil the other day about the story I heard of Charles Finney. He's an amazing historic evangelist from the United States, and he came to Europe, and he was just a revivalist, so he preaches big revivals. And one time, this lady from Germany came up to him, and she said, hey, I need you to come meet my son. He's the pastor of our church in our town, but he's not born again. Kind of a problem, (laughs) He he doesn't pray, he doesn't know the Lord, and yet he's the pastor of the town. And she said, everybody's kind of religiously members of this small, of this church in this small town. Everybody goes to the church when they want, and just, but no one follows God. And so he was preaching the next night, and she got her son to come to this, or he actually met with him privately first, and and met with this man, and, and he tried to convince him of his waywardness and his sin, and the man kind of began thinking, and then the next night he came to one of the events, and he heard Charles Finney preaching, and God moved and changed his heart, and he met with him again, and, and he just surrendered his life to Christ. He just repented, and he, and he asked God for his forgiveness and turned away from his sin, and, and he went back, and he's like, all right, man, now I'm, I'm on fire for Jesus, but now i got a bunch of like these kind of religious folks who don't know Jesus, and i got this whole church. He's like, what am I supposed to do? And so He prays and he seeks the Lord and he comes in. He holds a church meeting for the first time in years. And he he says, I vote to disband the church. Let's shut this thing down. He essentially said, nobody's a Christian anyway. What are we doing here? He shut the whole thing down. He said, if you, he preached a message, gospel message of repentance and and, and hundreds of people turned their life to Christ in that day and they they closed that church and started a brand new one, people who were on fire for Jesus. And there was a revival that began to spread out from that place. And it happened because one person repented. 
I don't wonder what God might do through repentance in our life of one father, one mother, one grandmother that just says, you know, I'm not letting what was with us before come into this next season. I'm going to break that off in this generation through submission. I think with, with moving and following God, many of us were eager and we're willing, but in, we, we seem to, to fall short of the execution. We're eager, but we lack execution. And I just want to call you to say, hey, yeah, Lord, I really want to repent. I really want to turn away from this. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a habit from your old life and you just haven't let it go. Let your execution meet, meet the, the level of your eagerness to surrender to the Lord. Maybe there's some stubbornness that we need to repent of today. The second element that I really believe when it comes to surrendering, leading us to a deeper level, that we see in this passage is in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We don't talk about that much, but, but Moses sets up a, a little tent outside of the camp and um, it really in fear of the Lord because he didn't want it close to the camp because if the Lord decided to come down and consume them, he wouldn't, he'd just consume Moses and not everybody else. And so he sets up what he calls a tent of meeting, what they call a tent of meeting. And as Moses goes in to meet with God in the tent of meeting, every person comes and stands outside their tent and just worships God. Just in fear of the Lord and knowing that something holy is taking place in that tent. And verse 11 in chapter 33 says that Moses met with God face to face as a man does with his friend. What a beautiful picture. And I think it has us recalling back to Genesis in the garden when God walked with man face to face. It has us looking forward to the time in which the temple veil will be torn and we can encounter God. It has us looking forward to eternity when we shall know fully even as we are fully known, Paul says. It has us looking forward and looking back. But it, it foreshadows this intimate relationship that we can have with God today. But it begins by the fear of the Lord. I wonder if there's people in your life, do people recognize and know that you know how to go to the tent of meeting? Do they see in your life fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, that there's a fear of the Lord and we know how to go meet with God? They see you withdraw to private places to meet with God. I hope my children are paying attention. I'm guessing one day they'll tell me that, Dad, we saw you every morning at that table reading the word. I, I pray they'll say, hey, we saw you going every night into that room to pray. We wondered what you were doing, but we heard something. We saw something, but we didn't know. Do people in your life know and recognize and fear the Lord because they see you going into the tent of meeting, into that private place of prayer where, where you meet with God? Because it's only through that fear of the Lord and, and, and pursuit of him and worship that we come to deeper levels of encounter with him, a life of surrendered devotion to him. And the final thing I see here in Moses' life and in the people of God is there's a genuine hunger for God. There's a genuine hunger for God. In verse 13, he says, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways, God. And he says, God, if, if, if you don't go, if your presence go, doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. That's just hunger for God's presence. And most of us on our daily life, like we just go here and we go there and we do that and we do this. We're not thinking, man, I need to, I'm holding the presence of God within me. God's presence is walking with me. God, if you don't go with me, I don't, I don't want to go. So teach me your way so I can keep in step with your spirit. 
The next thing he says that really reveals to me Moses' hunger for the Lord, he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. God tells him, I'm going to go with you. You've you've humbled yourself. I see the fear of God in people. And I'll go with you. I'll go with you, he said. But Moses says, show me your glory. Moses had seen God move in incredible ways. He had come to know God as a deliverer. But Moses also knew what he did not know. He knew that he had parts of the picture, but he didn't have the full picture. And he wanted it all. I just want to ask you, fathers in the house, mothers in the house, sons and daughters in the house, adults in the house, children in the house, do you want all that God has for you? Every bit of the promise, every bit of his presence just leaking, flowing off of your life. Pray, show me your glory. And God's message to him is so profound. Anybody ever seen A Few Good Men, the movie a long time ago? He's like, we need the truth. And he says, you can't handle the truth. Moses is like, show me your glory. And God's like, you can't handle my glory. It's essentially what he says. God's glory is the full weight of who he is. The full weight of who he is. He says, you can't handle that. He said, so go and go and rewrite the tablets. The two tablets, one for each God and man to remind them of the covenants that they've made together. Go and rewrite that. And I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock with my hand. And he said, you're not going to see my face, but I'm going to pass by you. And I'm going to give you a deeper level of encounter of who I am. I'm not just the God who will be with you, but I want to let you know specifically who I am in your life. And here's what I find in America, in the South, where there's a lot of Christianity, and so people have a lot of head knowledge. And I'm guessing in a place like Northern Ireland, where there's a lot of knowledge of God, but there's a people who need an encounter with God. And I've just always seen it in my head because we, we need the knowledge of God. We need that, but we need a revelation. Without, without revelation, without a vision, people perish. And, and that vision is not some ministry projection or structure or model. It's a revelation of the true nature of who God is. It's a revelation of God's divine nature. And each encounter that we have, every moment that we repent and turn away from our sin, every moment in which we surrender our life fresh and anew, re-surrender, every moment when we just say, God, I want more of you, we get a clearer picture of who God is. A deeper and clearer picture of of an encounter with the living God. And I'm going to close now. But what God does, he passes by, and here's what it said in Exodus 34 Verses 4 through 6, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands upon thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is what God wants you to hear today. Even in the midst of your stubbornness, even in the midst of our own sin, God wants you to hear who our Father in heaven is. 
He's not just the God who is going to be with you. He's one who's compassionate. He's the God who's gracious towards you, who's slow to anger, who's abounding in love and faithfulness. And he's maintaining that love. That love doesn't quit. It goes on and on. I don't know what kind of father you had in this world. Maybe one who represented all of these things. You had a gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. But here's what I know. There's not too many perfect fathers on this earth who have not hurt us in some way, who didn't give us a full picture of the nature of of God. But I want you to get a clear picture of who your father is in heaven today. Because it's only at a clear picture and true encounter and a clear encounter with the living God can we represent that to others. Can we represent that to our children? Can we show them the goodness of God? I'm going to ask the bands to come back and lead us in just a chorus and a a bridge of that goodness of God song as we consider today, where is the Lord convicting you of your stubbornness? Where is there room for repentance in your life? Where does the Lord want you to consecrate yourself, to fear him, to surrender your life to him? Maybe God, it's none of that. Maybe God's just stirring up a deeper hunger for him today as he sends you out into your mission field in this city or in the nations. I wonder what God can do with a man or a woman who goes from stubborn to surrendered. I wonder what God can do with a family that goes from surrendered or goes from stubborn to surrendered. What God can do with a city that moves from stubborn to surrender, what God can do with a nation that will humble themselves and pray and seek his face. God, we pray right now for your healing touch over every single person, God. God, we open ourselves up to your word to us, not my words, but your word that called out and corrected your people. And God, we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture and we too can be found stubborn on days. Would you convict us of our sin, of our stubbornness, of our, our lack of faith, God, our lack of trust in you, and would you help us to move to repentance, to surrendered devotion to you, as we remember who you are, as we set our eyes, not even on your face, God, but just who you reveal yourself to be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving, faithfulness and steadfast love. God, we love you today. May we get a greater picture of you so that we can represent that to the rest of this world. We love you. In Jesus' name, let's continue to worship him. If you'll stand with us and worship and ask the Lord what he wants to do in this moment in our lives.